Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our podcast today, we are going to do a Bible study. I think this will bless and encourage you, and maybe it will show you ways that you can look at your Bible through a prophetic lens. I call these prophetic echoes. Some people call them types and shadows. There will be a lot of different labels and Bible scholar circles that it will have. But if you will pay attention to names, places, and patterns that repeat, there is so much depth there. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit breathing life, inspiration onto his word that is revelation. Let me break that down for just a minute. So the word connected to prophecy in your Bible almost always goes back to the root word Naba, which is Strong's H5012. And it just basically means to be inspired of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when Jesus was sitting with uh, his disciples, he asked, who do men say that I am? And they said, you're a priest, you're a rabbi, you know, you're a prophet that you know they had lots of different answers and suddenly Peter has this epiphany and Peter realizes the first person on planet earth to really realize this he says you're the Christ the son of the living God Peter had a revelation that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus turns to him and says blessed are thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you In other words, you didn't get this from a book or from talking to a friend or a mentor or even a preacher. It says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but by my spirit. That is Naba, the Holy Spirit teaching you, guiding you, revealing his word to you, breathing inspiration and life into that word, the living word of God. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but by my spirit and upon this rock. I don't believe that Peter's the rock. There are people who believe Peter is the rock. There's a whole religion built on the fact that Peter is the rock. And Peter is important, but he's not the rock. It's revelation knowledge that is the rock. He says, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's just a quick breakdown on revelation and the power, the prophetic power of revelation. When you understand that the word of God is living, alive and active and at work, then it's life changing. The word of God works, but you have to work the word. Now, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to study it. We have to read it. We have to put it in us. And then the Holy Spirit will help us as we study. And then the Holy Spirit reveals his word to you. But you have to work the word. And we do that by studying. We do that by speaking God's word over our situations and applying God's word over our situations. For example, when we are confronted with our emotions, maybe we're angry. Maybe we are sad and depressed, what do we do? The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. So step one is to resist the devil. I recommend speaking God's word out loud over that situation and that process. I do it all the time. You know, if I'm faced with, you know, anger and frustration, I will kind of stop and pray to myself. Oh, Holy Spirit, I speak peace in Jesus name. 
<laughs> and if you've been around my mom, she'll do it right in front of you out loud to you <laughs> if you're if you're upset, you know, or or maybe you are uh, in a situation where you're very down and depressed and sad. The Bible says in Proverbs twelve twenty five, it says anxiety in the heart causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Well, that means you've got to put a scripture on it. You've got to speak God's word. You have to say, I have the fruits of the Spirit, and I have joy in Jesus' name. Now, some people don't like all that. They think that's name it and claim it. Some people call it blab it and grab it. And, and oftentimes that's applied to prosperity and a, and a hyper focus on prosperity. But I'm telling you, if you will speak God's word in the authority of Jesus' name over your life and over your situations, it is powerful. It is prophetic, and it goes in and makes a difference in your life. And so one of the ways we are even able to really hear from God is we have to invest time with Him. It's called relationship, not religion. You know, we throw those terms around, but how do we cultivate relationship and not just have religion? Well, we do that through prayer, got to be talking to the Lord through getting in his word. You got to read it. You got to study it. You got to get your head wrapped around it. And you got to let the Holy Spirit illuminate it to you by spending time in worship and prayer. Of course, all of these things, it's important. Fellowshipping with one another to encourage one another. You can't expect to hang out, you know, in in a bar <laughs> and have this wonderful relationship with the Lord and people will try to convince you that that's okay but I would uh, argue that point I would say you need to uh, on your daily life surround yourself if possible with believers to encourage one another in the most holy faith and so I just want to encourage you in that and I'm going to shift gears and I want to dig into a little bit of a Bible study that explains these prophetic echoes that I mentioned sometimes. Uh, this is taken right out of our Bible study that I'm involved in. And so uh, let me first lay down our foundation scripture so that you know where I'm going because some people take issue or some people would argue against types and shadows. I think it's a very small minority within the church. I think types and shadows are widely accepted across most denominations. Uh, for example, we know that several characters in the Bible have a, uh, a messianic quality that points to Jesus, like, for example, David, or uh, you could say uh, Joshua, you could, Joseph. There's so many examples. Uh, the, the whole story of Joseph is a picture of Jesus. You know, he was thrown into a pit and he comes back. He goes from the pit to the palace, you know, long story short. There's so many stories in your Bible that have these little echoes, these little, you know, I like the word echo because some of the echoes are strong and some of the echoes are very subtle. But if you're really digging into your word and really looking at your Bible and getting your head around it, you know, I definitely love the Blue Letter Bible. That's what I use. I really have embraced the Blue Letter Bible. I love to look through the commentaries. I love the concordances. I love the lexicon. You know, everything that it has to offer right at my fingertips is amazing. Back in the day, I used to have the big Strong's Concordance, and you would have you like a little notebook, and you would have highlighters, and you would have to look up the Strong's number. You know, then you would have to flip in the back to either the Greek or you know Hebrew dictionary in the back, and then look those words up. Then you would have to flip and go find the root word, and sometimes a, a Hebrew word will have two roots. It'll have like the root and what I call the root root. <laughs> and so uh, there's so much you can learn from word studies as well. You know, we could get back into that. But I have a whole podcast dedicated to 
word studies and word wheels, and um, you can go back and look at those. But let me lay down our foundation scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation to make it super easy. This is Paul speaking, and he says, These things happen to them, meaning the people in the Old Testament. All those Bible stories you learned as a kid. Hopefully you learned those as a kid. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning for us who live in the end of the age. And that means us today. We are definitely in the end times. Now, how far down that timeline may be somewhat debatable, but I would definitely say we're a good ways down that timeline prophetically really nothing else has to happen ever since 1948 there's really nothing that just has to happen everything that has happened uh, that the bible predicted for the end times has already happened there's a few things that you could say uh, could possibly happen Uh, the ezekiel 38 war most scholars believe is during the tribulation or at the end of that and then most people say that the psalms 83 war could potentially happen before the tribulation but it's not clear it it could happen right at the beginning the middle who knows so anyway just to kind of throw that out there for somebody that's a very serious about your eschatology and timelines for the for the end times anyway so let's get back to these prophetic echoes i want to show you an example of this that i really think will encourage you so uh, the children of israel you know, they came out of Egypt. Pharaoh uh, didn't want to let the people go. And, and we know the whole story. And God will uh, have Moses lead them uh, through the dramatic scene of the crossing of the Red Sea. And most of us have the imagery of Charlton Heston in the movie, you know, Moses, where he leads them through the Red Sea. And they will then wander in the wilderness for 40 years. During this time, Moses gets the Ten Commandments and uh, gets the structure, layout, plans, and uh, rituals that go with the tabernacle during that time. And eventually they will come to the Promised Land where they will cross the Jordan and then go into the Promised Land. Uh, And then uh, we see that there's so many similarities between the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan. Well, in our Bible study, we're in the book of Ezra, and we discovered a a subtle but a uh, substantial echo, a prophetic echo of these events that I had never seen before. So I'm very excited to share this with you. And I'll try to keep it pretty brief. I think the intro was kind of long for me. So uh, I'm going to start... In Exodus chapter 13, I'm just going to refresh you on the crossing of the Red Sea, and we'll keep this real quick and simple, but uh, there's some some key words I want you to be listening to, and I'll clue us in on those, and I'm going to start in Exodus 13, 17, and I'm going to try to read through these fast. It's going to be a little bit of reading, a little bit of scripture, but if you'll bear with me, I really believe this will bless you. When Pharaoh let the people go, by the way, that was finally, <laughs> after a whole lot of stuff went down, plagues and whatnot, uh, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. We could plow right there. That's a whole sermon right there. Anyway, we'll keep going. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones with you 
from this place. By the way, this is just for fun. Um, <laughs> this is something that you learn when you really dig into the Word of God that you really don't have sometimes context for or an image in your mind. You're not going to see this in your little Sunday school lessons. But uh, Joseph had been like the prime minister of Egypt, and he looked very Egyptian. And so uh, anybody that's toured museums and see, or the Smithsonian and seen the Egyptian mummies, please understand that Joseph was basically a mummy in one of those mummy boxes, and they were uh, carrying around like this Egyptian-looking mummy that was Joseph, his bones. So very interesting. I mean, you know, we don't get that picture in our, in our mind of a mummy being among the things they crossed the Red Sea with. And so I just think that's really interesting. And there's some, you know, wait, you can go Google that and check me on that. But just based on these scriptures and knowing Joseph and how important he was to Egypt, I thought that was really interesting, and so, and he would have been dead for quite some time. So, anyway, uh, Exodus thirteen twenty. After leaving Sukkoth, they encamped at Etham on the edge of the desert, and uh, Etham just they believe is just the name of a place that marked the edge of the desert. So they camped before they crossed the Red Sea. That's important. We're going to come back to that. That's an echo right there. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Wow, there's so much to unpack there, but I want to stay on task. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. We're going to jump over to chapter 14. Just bear with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Belzephon. By the way, Belzephon, there's a whole thing connected to that. That was a god who was uh, basically like a, the god of like chaos monster, basically representing hurricanes. It's where we get the name Typhoon, which is a hurricane in the other hemisphere. And so there's so much there we could dig into, but for the sake of time, we'll keep we'll keep trekking forward. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all, and all, Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. I'm going to jump down to verse 13. So the, the soldiers are closing in. There's confusion in the camp. The people are upset. And Moses answers verse 13 to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. Well, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Who was he right? Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Oh, there's a sermon right there, too. That's a Hebrews 4 moment of rest. Trusting in God, knowing that from the foundation of the world, God has already made a way for you. Oh, that's so good. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. All right. And so we know what happens. They cross the sea. In fact, in verse 19, it says, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, there's a sermon right there, too, went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved in from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Oh, what a, an amazing scene. Don't you wish 
You could have seen with spiritual eyes everything that was unfolding, just like a, a C.S. Lewis book or, or maybe like Piercing the Darkness or This Present Darkness. Can you imagine the scene of, of that angel standing between the Egyptians and the children of the Lord and, and uh, the Red Sea is parted and then when it closes up. And so we know that whole story. So I want to key in on a couple of things here. They camped out before they crossed the Red Sea. So number one, they rested. They camped out. They stayed. They waited on the Lord. Number two, the Lord told them to be still, to wait, to be patient, to trust In this moment of chaos, in this moment of fear, they were told to be still. And so and then they crossed the river, which really represented their deliverance. They were they were moving out of Egypt in, you know, on their journey toward the promised land. And so we know that journey. Now, let's just fast forward 40 years. Moses has died and Joshua is now the leader of the people just as they are about to embark on their journey over the Jordan into the promised land. I'm going to jump over to Joshua and read verses 1 through 9 and this may be very familiar to you. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Oh, there's so many sermons right there. Uh, I get excited just reading all this because the more you study, the more you get your head around these stories and the more they come alive and they have uh, the power of the Holy Spirit all over them to transform your life. He says, I will give you every place where you're where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going somewhere with all this that I really believe will bless you. Verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn it. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. There's a life principle right there. Right there. You could camp out in Joshua 1 7, and that can be, uh, you know. Write there a lesson for your life. Verse uh, 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This should be attached to the entire prosperity gospel. Uh, You got to be in the word. You got to be obedient to the word. You got to be led of the spirit. Have I not commended you, verse 9, to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Oh, what a wonderful story. All right, we're going to jump down to Joshua chapter 3. Here comes that other prophetic echo. We're going to start to see some parallels as they cross the Jordan. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. 
After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So in other words, you know, the camp was always laid out in a very orderly fashion by tribe. And he's saying when the priests pass by, you be ready to you be packed up and ready. And, and when you see it, you follow You get in line and you follow behind this Ark of the Covenant. Verse 4, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Man, and the Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. If you'll follow God's presence, uh, and you do that by following his word, it's because all the articles in the Ark of the Covenant are representative of God's word, his supernatural power, and his very essence. And so you just, you obey his word, very simple. He says, because you've never been this way before, but keep a distance about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And there was a holy fear. There was a reverential element to following the ark. You didn't get too close. In fact, in verse 5, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. You, the Lord will do amazing things among you. All right, Joshua has the priest lead them. And in verse 8, he says, uh, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Oh, man. (laughs) So there was an angel that was with them at the Red Sea, remember, protecting them, that led out in front of them. In fact, the angel will go and move behind them as the sea is opened up to protect them from the Egyptians who are closing in on them. And here at the Jordan, we see that the Lord will go ahead of you. All right, he tells them to choose to choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Did you know that God also parted the waters of the Jordan just like he did at the Red Sea? Amazing. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. All right. Uh, it, it goes on to tell you that they will take 12 stones out of the Jordan and they will make a memorial and they will again renew the covenant inside the land. And uh, they will will make a pledge, a covenant before the Lord to obey him. All right. Now we're going to jump quickly to Ezra sort of land this thing chapter eight and i want to show you this subtle prophetic echo of this pattern and then what it all means i'm going to jump down to verse 21 if you're following along i think this will be worth it though if you're able to all right he says uh he gathered all the people in verse 20 uh and he had the levites there and there by the ahava canal He said, I proclaim a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children, our possessions. Let me explain what had happened. So in the Babylonian captivity, when the southern kingdom of Judah was captured, all the vessels uh, of the temple were captured. 
they were all captured by Nebuchadnezzar, and they were uh, taken into, you know, his war chest, so to speak, his his plunder, his booty. And so uh, later, they are able, with Zerubbabel and now Ezra, that under a, a, a different king, King Cyrus, because Persia overtook the Babylonian kingdom, they're able to come back and build the temple. Well, Cyrus even said, hey, you can even have back all of the things, the furnishings that go into the temple, like the Ark of the Covenant, like the table of showbread, uh, the menorah, the altar of incense, all of those objects were returned to them. Well, they've gone to the river Ahava and they have camped out and the priests are going to lead the people over another river crossing as they come back into Jerusalem to put these things back into the promised land. And so we, we see this amazing story. Now, buried inside of all of this is very interesting. Uh, I don't, I don't want to have to take the time to go back and read it all, but I would definitely encourage you to read it. They go and stop at a man named Ido, who's a prophet. They stop at his place. And it's called Cassiophia. And Cassiophia is a very interesting word in Hebrew. It means silvery or shining. And it actually in the root word means to reflect the glory of Yahweh. And and we know that that is connected to the most holy place and one of the names of God in that root word. And so we see that uh, there's this another example of the things of the temple, the objects, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the table of showbread, the menorah, and the altar of incense, as these holy objects that all, by the way, are a prophetic picture of Jesus. As they cross the river, we have this same repeated pattern. We have this pattern of priest. We have this pattern of the people consecrating themselves. We have this pattern in all three cases of God's supernatural provision and protection. In all three places, we see that they rest and wait on the Lord. In all three places, we see that uh, that there's order to it. And so the lesson here for us, I believe, is anytime we are in this transition season, season spiritually in our lives, we could take a lesson from these three. Number one, you need to consecrate yourself. You need to pray. You need to get with the Lord. You need to seek his direction. He told them, follow the ark. You need to follow the presence of the Lord, which means you follow his word. In whatever your situation is, you need to consecrate yourself. You need to trust the Lord, no matter if there's enemies closing in or at like at Ahava, there was there was uh, no imminent threat, although it was a dangerous journey. They didn't have an army and it was a supernatural journey. Uh, if you want to go back and look into the book of Ezra, we'll talk about that. Uh, you can also see that in all these cases, they encamped and waited. I believe at every place they waited three days, and there's a lesson in that too. And so I would encourage you to, whenever you're in these life transition moments, to take a lesson. You know, a crossing water represents uh, transitioning from one place to another. Boundaries are often marked by water for a reason. And so that represents a shift or transition in your life, maybe a job change, maybe a change in your church or a relationship or whatever the case may be, Uh, maybe just a transition in general. And so whenever you're faced with these spiritual transitions, these, these water crossings, if you will, then I would encourage you, number one, pray, consecrate yourself, 
Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Don't do anything hastily. Follow the Lord. And then ask and, and receive his supernatural protection and provision in that time. That's, that's what I took from these three stories. They're a wonderful prophetic echo. It's just an example of how these are things that can bless us. I kind of took it in a more practical direction. You could definitely take it in a more biblically end times prophetic direction. But I want to keep this practical and useful in your everyday life. And I want to excite and encourage you to really dig into God's word and begin to to see these patterns and then try to mine out the revelation in them, of course, being rooted in God's word. And so that's the lesson that I have for us today is to to go. And, and when you're at these little cross crossing points in your life to wait on the Lord, to pray, to dr- to follow God's word, to consecrate yourself and to let it be a supernatural crossing with the Lord going both in front and behind you, just like the cloud by day and the fire by night. I hope this message blesses and encourages you today. Have a blessed day.